three, two, one. You ready? You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Real Pineapple. This is your humble host, Hunter, here. Hope you're all having a great day, night, weekend, whenever you're checking this out. Um, I am truly honored to have a director of one of my favorite 90s films on uh, on the show tonight, and we will get into that. But he's also a co-writer, producer, director of the latest film, uh, starring John Travolta and Bruce Willis in uh, Paradise City. Uh, I've got uh, the man, the myth, the legend. I've got Chuck Russell here. Chuck, how you doing, sir? Thank you for that intro. Yeah. Um, thanks for making the time. I really appreciate it. Um, so I'll get to the movie here in just a moment. We'll definitely get there. But I, I mentioned the 90s film that I uh, I love so much that you directed. So you actually did two that I love. Uh, so you did The Mask, which... It's still a classic. I actually just rewatched that during lockdown, um, maybe a year or so uh, ago. But I think it's. I think this is the the one I'm about to bring up. I think it's one of the most underrated '90s action flicks in uh, Eraser. I think Eraser is the shit. I I fucking love Eraser. <laughs> um, so I just gotta ask. So why take that project? Because that's. I think that's one of those Schwarzenegger movies that does go under the radar a bit. So so why take that movie on? And then how do you approach, because I mean, that's Schwarzenegger like at the peak of his powers. How do you approach directing someone in that vein and getting the performance that you got out of Schwarzenegger? That's one of his most human performances, I would say. Well, that's a, that's a great compliment. I, I'm glad you feel that way. I feel that way too. Um, look, I really like Arnold. He was a, a fan of The Mask. Uh, he... We came together, believe it or not, um, over a project at Warner Brothers that did not work out. And Arnold said, uh, let's do Eraser. Here it is. It's ready to shoot. And um, I thought, you know, this is a chance to use all the bells and whistles uh, at the studio and uh, do do my Arnold movie. And I'm a fan. And I got along with him very well. He's a terrific guy. So uh, there wasn't a reason not to do it. Let's put it like that. I did want to take the original script and and pump it up i mean i'm I'm already dealing with the other arnold films jim cameron's true lies which is one of my favorite schwarzenegger films same uh, and we didn't as it as it was originally we didn't have the action set pieces i thought his fans demand and we did end up having that opportunity the studio supported the concepts we came in with uh and i got to do some wild wild stuff with arnold and vanessa williams who was terrific in that film yeah, she's great in that. Um, and and of course you have James Kahn, who is such a monster. In it. Yeah, <laughs> he's so he's so good. Well, I man. wanted look. I, it's another thing I wanted. I wanted to class class it up with the the cast surrounding Arnold, um, and Jimmy Kahn certainly was that. He was known to be an edgy edgy performer at the time, and I just said, look, we're going to have some fun. You know, you're going to be an, uh, the anchor. Uh, in terms of your, your theatricality and his his dramatic chops, and he lived up to it. He was terrific to work with as well. So we got to 
have some great scenes and good action and running around New York City was a lot of fun. Yeah, I I just I adore that movie. That's a movie I like in that pantheon of movies I go. I want a 4K of that. That that's that's on the list for me. It'll be, I, it'll, it'll be worth it, man. It's it's cool. I especially love the airplane escape in hindsight. It's a wonderful example for filmmakers, uh, for us, for me, going from storyboards to the completed sequence. It's a pretty seamless sequence, but we use base every basic technique I'm aware of at that time from practical effects, real parachuting, par- real parachuters filming each other in mid-flight, uh, Arnold on stage in a descender rig off of a huge midsection of a 747 we hung at the biggest stage at Warner Brothers. Oh, geez. Okay. Schwarzenegger at near 50 years old, being one of the first actors to use what we call a descender rig then. It's a common tool now, but it's it's really one of those things where it's more for stuntmen, but you can put an actor in it if they know what they're doing because it's, it's free fall with a braking system. Okay. So you, you come down almost to free fall and then the brake is slow enough. It doesn't rock the actor's world. <laughs> Put it like that. <laughs> uh, and lucky for me, Schwarzenegger is that handy, was that handy, a real great action actor. Um, and so I got, you know, I got my, uh, my, my year with Arnold, which was ter- a terrific experience. That's, that's really cool. So going from Arnold, I got to go. I, I do have to ask you about the mask because that movie being so, really revolutionary when you think about how much cgi you know and how vfx houses are horrendously overworked and that's a whole other conversation itself but when you think about the mask and how really revolutionary that was with cgi we were pioneering we we i mean this is how basic it was people forget it still looks good though because i it does I, i well i conceived it for what we were able to do and yes, we were ambitious, but it played organically to the story really well in that there was some cartoon vibes to it as well. But they, we did water for the first time. They used our, there's a whirlpool gag. It's really funny, which yeah, yeah. really hard. There's a whirlpool gag at the end where he flushes the bad guy, which is kind of an over-the-top idea, but it worked. <laughs> uh, and they used those programs in in, in, um, in the future all the future ILM stuff. They couldn't do hair yet, believe it or not. So I had to pick a short haired dog. So it's kind oh, of, Oh, that's why Milo was okay. That's why Milo, one of the reasons that particular dog was a charmer. So I did do casting sessions to find that dog. The producers thought I was crazy. That's they amazing. Thought, they thought, don't you just order a dog like a car, like what year and what make, you know, that's your dog. Yeah. But uh, that particular dog was never doubled. It, the dog did all its own gags, which is almost unheard of. That's amazing. But given that it was short haired, I said, don't worry about the hair. When the dog puts the mask on, you're going to be looking at its face anyway. You know, yeah. but I'll have a short haired dog so we can. You know, meet. We met the technology halfway with the way I was staging the scenes. Yeah, that. So, so in rewatching it, I love that gag because you see the the knife. You know, be the last thing that, know, the that goes down the whirlpool. The little touches and the little burps on the soundtrack are funny as well. So, yeah. when you're pitching that to someone like Jim Carrey, because that is, I mean, obviously Jim Carrey is a comedic genius and can pull things from out of nowhere. But you're working with this new technology, so you do have to like sell, you know, sell him on like. You know what, Jim and I were like thickest thieves from day one on that show. He he totally got it. 
he trusted me on the visual effects. Um, but he read the, the funny thing is that script was originally a horror film and we rewrote Really? It. Yeah, because I'd done horror with Freddy Krueger. And if you think of that story with a guy putting the mask on, the original script I read from New Line was he put the mask on and pull an axe out of his pocket and chop everybody up graphically and then have a one-liner. Oh, would have been would have been very similar to Freddy. And the, to the credit of the original uh, creators of the comic, it was a splatterpunk comic. It was really bold and the, the look was cool and everything. But translating it to film, I felt structurally it was very much what I'd just done with Elm Street 3. Um, I didn't want to do another gory, gory film, honestly. I'd seen Jim Carrey's stand-up and in Living Color, Ace Ventura hadn't been shot yet. And okay. I just said, there's this guy, Jim Carrey, we have to grab him, give him this the starring role in this piece and build it around his skill set, which is something I, I literally, he was like a human cartoon in his stand-up act already. His physical, yes. physical comedy, uh, he's a genius. And it was at, right at that point in his career, he was like a Charlie Chaplin. He could, he could pretty much do anything. It's remarkable. Uh, so at the end of the day, the challenge was not covering the actor with a makeup effect or covering the actor with a CGI effect. It's about enhancing what he does. And I, I won't bore you with the technical details, but there's ways of taking a facial structure and not tapping it down, but it, let him be even more expressive. That was a technical trick, especially in the physical makeup effects. So bottom line, I had the right actor at the right time and the right story and New Line was reluctant, but finally said yes. A year, it was a year later. I said, let's make this a comedy. And they thought I was crazy. A year, a year later in development, they realized, you know what? What did you say again about a a, a guy and a, and a girl and a dog and a nightclub? How you know how would that work? And I got to do my drafts of the screenplay. And we, uh, when Jim read it, he said, "It's like it's written for me." And I said, "Dude, it is." And if you don't do it, I don't know what. Okay. There isn't a. There is not a list. It's a. It's a Jim Carrey movie. Um. So it worked out, and he did trust me right from the beginning. So one thing that I, I've loved about just your work is that you're able to take maybe someone who's not as well known and you're able to get a great performance out of them and, and, and tying the mask to paradise city, you know, you have Cameron Diaz and her first, like that's pressure. Cause I mean, that's, you know, that's Jim Carrey you're starring alongside and you get this incredible uh, layered performance out of Cameron Diaz where, you know, at first it's, you know, it's like, she's this, you know, she's that dream girl. But then as you start to get to know her, you go, wow, there's layers to her and you know she's in a rough situation and i and i want to tie that to paradise city and what you have with uh i'm uh, i'm gonna butcher your name i'm sorry i, I believe it's Pri uh, Pri 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 yeah. yeah so she i mean she's acting alongside you know she's acting alongside some some heavy hitters and yet she's honestly she's my favorite performance in the film like i was really i'm so impressed. happy to hear you say that because you know we haven't this film's just opening coming Friday. Yeah. Um, and the initial reactions are terrific. But one of my hopes is that I did right by Priya. Again, this is another girl. Priya has had a long acting career. The thing about Cameron was she had never acted before at all. So that was a big risk. I had to prove her to the studios by literally shooting every scene with her and Jim. But Jim Carrey was better in those audition scenes, reading with Cameron Diaz. Jim himself was better in the Stanley Ipkiss scenes. So there is chemistry. There is such a true thing as chemistry. 
And in the case of Priya, uh, I know her and Blake would play well together. She's special. She's exotic. I could believe her in the Maui world. I could believe her toughness or edginess as a cop, which is not easy. No, it's not. You know, with guys or girls, you want to make sure you got somebody believable in that world. So in, in her opening shot, Brian comes on really strong with a gun right in camera. I almost had to back her off, but that was <laughs> that was one of our goals. But look, she's another really interesting, very unique performer, very charming, very bright. And she's been doing martial arts in her films in Thailand. She's a star in Thailand. So okay. she's been she's been doing action martial arts stuff since she was a kid. So we didn't have to double her in her in her fight scenes. Um, so I just I think she's really something. I think she's going to have a great future. And as a director, that's my very favorite thing. I got to launch Dwayne Johnson and his first leading role in Scorpion King. Uh, I got to help Cameron. I got to help Jim become international player. I gave Patricia Arquette her first gig on Elm Street 3. I mean, it's just that's that's the win. I love working with stars and, you know, their brand and you know what their audiences expect. So that's another kind of responsibility as a director. But for me, when I can bring look, I love this as an audience member, too. When you see somebody new and exciting, that's always a thrill in film. So, yeah, I try to do it for my sake, for their sake and mainly for the audience's sake when it's right for the story. So I, I'm happy you brought up. I, I'm happy you brought up Scorpion King because I, I was getting there because you know Dwayne Johnson being Dwayne John being Dwayne Johnson now. You know we were we were still calling him the Rock back then, but him being truly of earning the term Dwayne Johnson now. When you're when you get something like that and they go, all right, it's this guy who hasn't really acted before, but this could be a potential franchise, maybe sorta. Like, how do you approach that? Like, I, I mean, is that different from approaching something like with Schwarzenegger, who's like a proven name? Oh, totally, totally different. Ar Arnold has a brand. There's an expectation. I'm feeling uh, the vibe of what's been out there before with Arnold. Uh, working with Dwayne, I couldn't wait. I'd spotted him, you know, along with everybody else, honestly, uh, in his WWE monologues. Same. So yeah. who, who looks like that? And can give that kind of an energized, half improv speech before his fights that has the audience roaring with laughter. Uh, I knew the guy was, it wasn't a risk to me at all. It was just a question of, could I get to direct his, his first leading role? That's what I really wanted to do. And Universal was offering me a choice of two films that year, which was very kind of them. But I didn't have to think twice. I wanted to work with Dwayne. And especially in kind of a, a fantasy ancient times world, which is something uh, I've wanted to do since I think I saw Enter the Dragon. Nice. Full on, <laughs> full on sword fighting, stick fighting, martial arts extravaganza and using the sense of humor that was part of Dwayne at that point in his career. Uh, the studio really wanted to throw in the wink and the people's elbow and some of these things he does. Yeah. So I thought, well, we're going to do it, but it's going to have a comedy spin too. And that's right up my alley. You know, so I had quite a, quite a bit of fun. Michael Clark Duncan, who was amazing. God bless my, I was, I was about to bring him up. I, I, I just, um, I was talking to someone the other day about the green mile and how, Oh you, man. And, and how you see him in the Scorpion King. And it's, it's such a welcome surprise. You're like, Oh yeah. Like he's in this. And yeah, and he's so funny in it. Like he's actually as comedic as anyone. He's, really, he, he is completely comfortable. Uh, this gentleman and uh, with who he is and uh, his physical presence and his sense of humor. Um, 
he was wonderful in the Green Mile. I just really wanted him to be, you know, I wanted a the great diversity in that cast. And I just had my eye on Michael and him and Dwayne were great as adversaries because they're both big guys. Yeah. Then they were great bonding uh, against the greater evil in the story. And that's the, really the fun, the wish fulfillment of an adventure story is, is your team. You know, who, who, who can you stand up against evil? And we all know that's in our hearts, every one of us. We can be a hero to save the ones we love. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I had a lot of fun rewatching that recently, too. And Kelly like, Boo did a terrific. Yeah, oh, she's whoa. so like you have like I, I think that's the juxtaposition that I think as a director, I would find terrifying is because you you want to do right, obviously, by your star. But you obviously want to make sure that the ensemble isn't just pushed to the side. Like, is that, that like is that is that a constant kind of thing that you're no, like, no, oh. I, tell you, I tell you, it is it is at the script stage. So, you know, it's all about script. I usually do at least polished writing on my script. Sometimes I, I end up with a writing credit because I do more work. But uh, I believe in a certain amount of rehearsal, a certain amount of improv. By the time we're shooting, I, I know what balance I'm going for. So while you may observe that, because these are ensemble movies, Paradise City is kind of an ensemble movie too. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though they have strong stars in the lead, it's about the world and about filling out that the tone of that world, which it so happens in both movies, there's a sense of fun. Um, so I, I want to be consistent with my audience. I want to make sure the suspense and jeopardy work. So whatever humor I use is character-based humor. It's not, you know, laughing at the movie. You know, we want to tell a great a great story. Yeah, and I think there's a fine balance between, you know, like that trick. and self. That's the trick and tone. Uh, is is uh, it's really my responsibility from script through the final edit that we have a consistent tone that I think the audience will respond to, and the global audience now is a big deal. Uh, I really like telling stories that will translate stories for the world. When I realized people in all these different cultures were laughing at some of the silly stuff in the mask, I thought, you know, people need people need to smile. People, <laughs> a little comedy brings people together, I think. So. You know, that's something I still strive for. I have that I have that international audience in mind, and I try to cast that way, too. One of the reasons we have Kelly Hu in this film, and one of the reasons we use so many local actors, some of them weren't even actors on Maui in Paradise and, City. And I was actually going to ask you about that. Did you film, you, so you filmed on location for, for Paradise the City? The home thing on the wonderful island of Maui. And if the audience has had, had half the fun we had shooting it and being there, they, you know, it's always hard work, right? Yeah. But, but the local folks are a joy maui is not a big film destination most people shoot on oahu or or hawaii the main island so you're dealing with more of a kind of a local culture which was absolutely charming i tried to reflect that in the film yeah and i thought you did a great job of capturing the fact that it was like a culture like almost like within the movie because... yeah and you know did you catch their the the beautiful accents and things of, of the local people um, the uh, character Koa Laird is was the actor who played that, who uh, was a local, almost film crew guy doing just a little acting, and is one of our stars in the film. So check it out. Well, you've seen it, I guess. I have, yeah. No, I I watched it yesterday. So, right. um, um, so that look, that's that's it. It's it's a thriller, it's an action thriller, but it's also a bit of wish fulfillment to be solving a crime in a beautiful island of Maui with this cast of characters. That's the way I looked at it. There. Um, so I, I do I get I do have to ask you, so I got a couple more questions for you. So 
um, you cast Blake Jenner um, in here as Bruce Willis. Oh, wait, wait, but I will just say no, oh. no spoilers. Oh yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Eighty percent saying... of this is not a spoiler, but no spoilers. We have. Oh a yeah, no, no, no. We're, there's a couple yeah, of twists and turns. Oh yeah, no, no. I will not get into spoilers. I try very hard to stay away from that. But um, you get Blake Jenner in here, who people probably know from Glee or Everybody Wants Some, which is one of my favorite movies uh, that's come out in a minute. I just, I just seventeen. Also, yeah, that was my favorite film of that year. Yeah, good stuff, right? Yeah, so you cast him. It's not easy being in a movie, let alone with Bruce Willis and John Travolta. So, I mean, you clearly have to trust the actor you get to really carry a, a good I, I, amount of it. I trust them, but I'm giving them the support. Yeah. Uh, again, from the screenplay forward, the fun for me is that Blake had not done an action film before, which for he's like 6'2 or something, he's a handy, great looking guy. He's got that sense of humor. So for me, the best action stars like Bruce himself uh, from the very beginning of his career could do action or comedy. Blake Jenner is the same thing. So I think having that ability to find the quirky humor in the character is important, too. I wanted to do the the opposite of the classic action guys that Travolta and Willis both represent to us in Blake's character. Okay. for me, he's a fresh take. This is a character who will not use lethal force to the point of risking his own life. He's a bounty hunter who, who, whose father, he's estranged from his father, who was a legendary badass in the field. So there's a kind of a father-son conflict in styles there. But Blake's balance of kind of charm along with the edgier action stuff, I think really, it, it's a new kind of character. I didn't want to have the usual suspects in the, in the young tough guy uh, role. And I like the way you you kind of pull that trick because when you realize that he's not a fan of guns, you go, "Oh, okay." And I like the explanation that you actually provide. And we for... play we play that that concept right through to the end when his father's literally saying, "Pull the trigger." Yeah, we'll, we won't tell the folks what happens. Oh but... no, 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 no. We won't do that. But I, but I, I appreciate the way you set that uh, set that up. So, speak. You, you mentioned him already, but I want to talk about him real quick. Uh, Travolta is in here. And I always like when Travolta gets into that from Paris with love, kind of taking a pill on one, two, three. Sword, swordfish style. Yeah, yeah. Gets into that like asshole, like asshole <laughs> I vibe. Wouldn't call, I wouldn't use the word asshole. But I, <laughs> I, I would say uh, John's all about script going into it as well. I got to work with him also in I Am Wrath. And we both come from theater. So we have fun talking about the classic things I think everybody should talk about with their actors, which is the motivations and how this works and why he would do that. Then once John's done with the intellectual process, he goes for it. And he was very confident in his role. He played it with this zest. And again, a yeah. dark humor, a dark humor. What, once the mask is off that character, and I, I don't mind revealing this much that he he plays a villain because it's kind of obvious even in the trailer, but yeah, what, that, what, what that character is up to, he, he pretty much plays more than one character in a way. Uh, but once the mask is off, it's it's Travolta as his at his best in that kind of uh, antagonistic role, where he's got sort of a zest in his villainry, and it makes it fun to watch. And without spoiling anything, I do like what you did with that character when you kind of drop this reveal, and it's like, oh, and I, I was very appreciative. I was like, okay, that was good. I really appreciate. I'm glad that. you like it. The, the, to me. It's really funny. Uh, some people say oh, we need a twist in this film. It was it was natural to that story, the things the things we did do. Uh, but I like that the audience got the information. Otherwise, it's just a cheat. 
In other words, if you look back at something, you go, oh, that's why this, oh, I could have seen that. If I had a coffee break from the movie, I would have figured that out myself, you know? <laughs> I, I like I like leaving enough clues that it's a fair twist in the yeah. game. We got. We play, we're playing a game with the audience in these thrillers. Yeah, it really didn't feel like, like the way you set it up and the way you go, actually, we gave you the, the, the breadcrumbs to get here. That, I went, that's, oh. That's what it is. That's what satisfies me. You know, when, when you can see the the breadcrumbs on the way and, you know, it's really about the characters and the kinetic action and, and really good versus evil at the core. But, you know, when you can have some things that are thought provoking to keep the audience engaged, it's always better. Yeah. So, OK, got a couple more questions for you. Um, when so I'm not a huge horror guy, but when I like a horror film, I get like obsessed with it. I need everyone to see it. So when you see you know, seeing stuff like the Black Phone and X and Black Pearl. Phone is good, right? Yeah, yeah, I dug really Black Phone. Great job. But considering where your career started off, you have that kind of that itch to maybe get back into into the horror genre. Or... Psychic man, are you are you <laughs> read, reading my mail, checking my phone? <laughs> I I actually have a supernatural thriller that's a larger studio film and i've got one that's super nasty and super scary I'm, I'm looking at two different uh let's say frightening films i guess you could call them horror okay so so it, it it's what i do it's like i like changing genres i get bored just like the audience does i want to try i want to go back to something i haven't quite finished with in this case i haven't done horror for a while and i was i had fun scaring the hell out of audiences but sh again my whole thing is I love to see the human heart is greater than the evil. So I'm a fan of all kinds of films. You know, there's those anarchistic horror films where everybody dies in the end. And that's the boldness, a boldness in the brutality of the story. But for me, the fun of the horror genre is to outthink the evil. You know, how, okay. how can, how, how can, if I'm faced with a greater evil, if that's how I play out the catharsis of watching a great horror film. Uh, how will the hero uh, survive or how will the hero self-sacrifice to, to, to a resolution in the story? You know, you don't always have to have a happy ending in horror, sure. but I, I do think it's exploring our fears. And I like encouraging people to overcome their fears. That's my subtext when I do horror. So sure. it's, you know, it's maybe it's more adventure horror than just depressing uh, or gory horror. Anyway, I have a lot of horror philosophy, so don't start. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. Um, be because I, I guess my and, and this brings me to another question, but I'm going to just praise you hugely I'll for take a moment. It. I'll take you it. you directed one of my favorite episodes of television ever in episode 307 of Fringe. Wow. I think that I think that is like I'm I love that show. So like when I was in college, I felt like I was the only person watching that show because everyone oh, no, else that was, was a like, very popular it was a very popular show but, but i feel like everyone else was watching lost and i was that one person going like watch fringe fringe, fringe is was, fringe was cool what a what a great kind of world to explore what a great concept and i was asked to come in as a kind of a guest director and do an episode i haven't done a lot of episodic but i had a fantastic experience and that young man who played the blind boy was amazing yes it's uh, a really cool kid we didn't have we didn't have rehearsal time, so I'm sitting here with this young man. He must have been 11 or 12, and I'm like, okay, how do we play? How do we play blind? You know, how how can how can we make this work? And I just said, you just have to make your vision a second thing, and, and your eyes always track with your head. 
You look with your face, not your eyes. And he picked up on it so quick. It was really touching, actually. He had his whole heart in that performance. And the and to get to work with the cast of Fringe, uh, Lance Reddick and the, the whole group yes. of them, they were very, very, as a guest director, they're very welcoming. They were all thrilled. I was talking to them about what their what their characters were up to uh, within the scenes I was directing. On TV, you got to move like this. But there is still a way to direct uh, from a character point of view. Uh, when you're when you're when you're being quick on your feet so i didn't want to reinvent it i wanted to make it play for that but i'm actor oriented and uh, getting to know that cast uh was really fun for me so thank you for noticing that it's something oh. on my resume that not everybody has seen oh it's 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 that episode i watched i remember going yes yes oh, like, cool. like yeah that that's one of my favorites so all right last question i've got for you when you talk about jumping between genres and I know you talked about how you're getting back into horror. I'm excited to see what you do. Is there a project that you're like, I haven't gotten there yet, or maybe the road just hasn't been paved yet, but is there is there a party that wants to do a film noir movie? Is there a party that wants to do a romantic comedy? Like, is there something you haven't explored yet on your resume that you're well, like, like, like a lot like a lot of people during COVID? I mean, I I finished developing three different scripts, and it so happens one of them could be called noir. Okay. And one of one of them is a comedy. There's and there's one that's supernatural thriller, and then there's another horror that's new. Um, and I spent that time. We were supposed to shoot uh, Paradise City a year earlier, but Hawaii shut down like a lot of, lot of other places with COVID restrictions. You had to have a two week, I forget what they called it, you know, shelter time or whatever, okay. um, on the island that doesn't work for independent film budget. Uh, so we came back and finally did it a year later. But in the meantime. Uh, I I'm also a writer and I was working on a couple of my favorite screenplays. So it's too early to say which goes first. A lot of that has to do with actor schedules and boring things like budgets. We have to be very careful with, um, but I'm excited. This is a great time for me uh, in my career. Uh, I'm thrilled about how we're communicating with the global audience now and how finally studios understand when we want to make a film that plays in different languages. Yes. So the whole diversity thing has gotten a lot easier. You should have seen, the first reaction to Vanessa Williams uh, to the idea. Oh, of, I can't it, even you imagine. Know, there wasn't, it wasn't pushback, but it was a little, they were a little shocked. Yeah. And then, and they were like, okay, that, that would be cool. That would be cool. But it was, uh, that was sadly, that was something a little new at, at the time. Uh, now it's a lot easier to have, you know, all kinds of levels of diversity in a show. And I, I'm from Chicago. I've always been about that. Okay. I just want, I want the best actors and I, I'm looking for the chemistry amongst that that cast and and getting all kinds of different cultures involved makes makes a movie fascinating yeah i i think when you can pull like like at the end of the day i want the cast obviously have chemistry but if you can pull someone who maybe audiences aren't familiar with like like you like you have multiple times and get them on the radar and still serve the film i think that's just I, i'm i but people talk about you know aren't you nervous or whatever the word is when you do that the, the yes there's a challenging element but it's thrilling it makes it makes it much more exciting because i don't know that actor's limits yet i wouldn't cast them if i didn't see something special in them but to get to kind of help them create their brand or introduce the audience to somebody new that they might enjoy following in the future that's just part of the excitement of, of filmmaking i come from theater so i have a different way of looking at that it's not it's not luck you can see people develop and you can you can see their arc 
their learning arc if they're relatively new the way uh, Cameron Diaz was in her case. So I'm all about that. And I recommend a little theater experience to people that want to direct film. Even we're all directing on our iPhones now. I mean, if you're if you're serious it's about storytelling, get yourself on stage. It costs you know nothing. Everyone's putting themselves on TikTok. I don't. That's cool, but I don't know if it counts in, in learning how to work with actors. Do do a little one act plays. I'm just saying this to future filmmakers. Uh, get yourself on stage. See what it is your actors go through. That's. I started as a young man thinking I might act, and realized I prefer directing very early on. But it huh. gave me it gave me a better perspective when you ask me about the new people I've used. Uh, you get a you get a better perspective on on um, that craft uh, of literally coaching or directing actors. Okay, so I lied. I have two more questions for you. One, what made you decide that you prefer directing versus acting? Because I I find that fascinating. Because I think most people you know get into not, not okay that that okay that's a bit of a broad brush. Um, I think a lot of people. There we go get into acting or get in the theater or get into screenwriting or what have you and, and have this very like one track like I'm gonna go here and then you know to your point something might happen they pivot so yeah what what made you go ah, I kind of like directing more uh a few different things and I I never exactly told myself I will never act again I, I acted in one low budget film that nobody knows about. It was a film called Shot. It was a very low-budget film shot in Southern Illinois, and I played a rookie cop. It was a feature film. Okay. And uh, after that experience, I all I wanted to do was rewrite the script. All I wanted to do was properly direct the scenes. And I realized um, there is a level of, of trust. You know, you hear a lot of uh, certain actors, I think I heard this once from Johnny Depp, that they don't look at their films afterwards. Well, there's a reason for that, because you have no control. <laughs> when you're when you're an actor and you're on stage, you can feel the audience. Uh, I, that was a more pleasant experience for me as some of the stage work I did at that time. But when you're in a film, you're tied to the log and the log's going downstream and sometimes it's <laughs> tough it, sometimes it's tough to watch yourself. So rightly or wrongly, I was taking more satisfaction. The other thing is I was doing some comedy as a uh, actor. And I was getting laughs and I was thinking, well, someone else wrote these lines. So, I mean, I I, I really, okay. oddly, I really took the auteur's point of view almost randomly. I kept coming back to that. So I, I also, I want to play a thousand parts that I, I can't play as an actor. But as a director, I can work with the whole cast. And to this day, to hear you compliment Priya, that was one of my my more focused goals is to really launch her in the West. And um I can't explain why, but but making that happen for audiences and for Priya herself, uh, it's great for the film. It's good for everybody, and it's it's original. It's a, it's a little bit of a breakthrough. It's my my best use of the creativity. So I I love working with actors. I love working with stars, and I love helping create new actors. And that's why I prefer directing. Okay, I love that answer. Um, all right, last question. I promise. Collateral. You were an executive producer on that. That is with the great Michael Mann directing. Yes, wow. that that is one of those movies. So I God, I can't. I've been watching movies for forever, but I remember that was one of the first movies I went. Oh wow! Like that was one of those kind of mind, like sort of sort of moments for me uh, between Cruz Pinkett and Fox. Jamie Fox. I mean, 
Yeah. Jamie Foxx doing one of his first dramatic roles, if I if I remember. Yeah. Correctly. yeah. So please talk to me about just like because I mean Tom Cruise, I mean, you know, obviously he's been in the game for decades and continues to churn out hit after hit after hit. That's more of a that's more almost in a noir vein. And it's it but it's got this frantic energy to it that's not normally associated with noir. So kind of talk to me real quick about how what that experience was like. And yeah, I, I just literally want to talk about there's a very interesting story about how collateral came about. Um, which is that I won't say what studio because it's kind of slightly dissy. They a studio came to me and said we want to make Five low-budget thrillers with you and my buddy and sometimes co-writer Frank Darabont, who did Shawshank Redemption, who's brilliant, right? Yeah. So uh, we thought, all right, we'll be able to... See, I still love producing to this day. So we thought, this is great. We're going to be able to launch some new directors. We had a couple of different people in mind that would be doing their first directing gigs, guys and girls, on low-budget low budget thrillers. And we get to do five of them. So for the first one, what could be more inexpensive than two guys in a taxi cab. That's that's basically, that was basically where the concept come from. Now, the fact that it ended up being like a $60 million movie, <laughs> it's another story. But that, I just, I told this first group, I said, look, we'll do it, but we're experiencing development hell in studios, which is natural to the studio system. It's slower, it's a slower process. I said, as long as, we're going to give you a great, fun thriller script for the first one, but just don't drag us out in development. Well, they said they wouldn't, but they kind of did. And the whole, <laughs> the whole movie flipped over. Michael Mann happened to read it and loved it, came back to us and said, I'd love to direct this and Tom Cruise. And we, Frank and I both looked at each other and go, well, we were going to produce anyway. Do you care if you don't direct? And I said to Frank, do you care if you don't direct? I said, well, we got Michael Mann and Tom Cruise. Let's have some fun. Yeah. And make a bigger movie out of it that DreamWorks. Um, so the result... One of the reasons one of the reasons I think that's a really good movie is it's character based. We really thought yes. we were doing a low budget film. It was really about those two characters and the dynamic between them in that taxi cab. That's a good stage play, even. So to let Michael Mann come in with all his bells and whistles and his visuals, and he switched it from a New York story to an LA story because we'd not seen a cab story in LA at that time. Um, then with the great cast, I mean. That was a very interesting experience. Tom was taking a risk playing a villain at that yes. point in his career. Uh, that's one thing people tend to forget because it worked so well. But it was considered a risk at the time. Um, people were thinking he was a bit bold to do it. But I think he was doing it for his own reasons to show his versatility at that point in his career. Yeah. And, and you and you guys, the, the performance you get out of Jamie Foxx, who at that time, you know, to your point. Jamie is just a, you know, a talent machine, man. He's He can do it all. He could sing. He could rap. He could dance. Right. He's kind of talented. You know, it's like, I don't know what he does in his spare time. Uh, but but at that point, it was kind of an opportunity. We wanted to take a comedian and put him in that dramatic role. And it was Jamie. Yeah. Well, uh, again, that is one of my favorite films. Like, I've, yeah, that was a huge moment for me. So thank you so much for being uh, associate with that in any sort of way because that movie kicks so much ass but um chuck thank you so much for making the time i really appreciate it everyone you can check out paradise city um this will be up this weekend so you can actually check it out on november 11th it's on theaters digital and on demand um chuck i mean i might as well ask you before we get out of here i mean anything you want to tell the people uh, where, can, where they're going to follow your work all that jazz 
Well, thank you to the fans. I mean, I'm I'm always encouraged. I'm always amazed. Some of my earlier films, I'm still asked to do interviews for for these shows. So, thanks to the audiences for staying. I guess staying interested in the ones that were resonant, and look forward to the doing the new stuff and getting it out there for you folks. And uh, I'm I'm just very grateful. I love movies, so I love making them. Again, Chuck, thank you so much for making the time, sir. You have this a great rest fun. of your night. Thank yeah, you this, yeah. Thank you, Chuck. You have a good night. You too. Be well.